Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome in. Boy, I haven't said that in a while. To Living Off the Land, this is episode 237. 237. Uh, coming to you live from the palatial LOTL studios. And uh, I am here. My name's Dan, as always. And I am here with my co-host, Steven. How we doing? It's Wednesday night. And you, and you know, know what that, that means. means. We are driving down Prospect Road. Or uh, Front Street, as they call it in Berea. Ah, yes, 237. 237. Route 237. Yep. Uh, that's not a preview for Better Know a Neighborhood. We've already done both Berea and Strongsville. But, uh, no, it's going to be a great segment tonight. It'll actually be Better Know a Neighborhood for the first time. In the hoods. Ever. But for, before we get to that, let's get to the beer of the week. Dan, take it away. And he just took a sip. All right. Time. Uh, here we go. Last week, we did our first foray into the Christmas sales. We did uh, Hoppy Christmas from BrewDog. This week, uh, I am going with a Christmas sale that I've actually never had before and we've not had on the podcast. Hmm. This is South Pole Elf, which is interesting. South Pole Elf. By Platform uh, That's a Platform great, that's beer a great Elf reference right there. Yeah. It is a Christmas ale with natural flavors, notes of gingerbread, spice, and all things nice. And I'll tell you right off the bat, the gingerbread is very forward on this. Oh, interesting. Is the, is the gingerbread spicier in Antarctica than in the Arctic Circle? I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, so uh, obviously Platform Beer Company, it is brewed in Cleveland, Ohio. And, yeah, I so I was, I was fully expecting to go to – the beer store and get something that we've already done before. I was going to get one, my, my favorite Christmas ale, which if you listen to the show, you all know what that is. Uh, if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to say it because we are going to have it in the weeks leading up as beer of the week. But let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about South Pole Elf from Platform. Must be a South Pole Elf. Malty sweetness gives way to spicy ginger snap cookies and all the holiday spices you can handle. Nutmeg, clove, and cinnamon mask the bold 8% ABV that'll have you warming up by a fireplace even if you don't have one. What percent ABV? Eight. Hey! <laughs> so this is technically called a winter warmer style. I don't know really what that is, but it's it's an it's an 86 score on Beer Advocate, which is tagged as very good. And apparently they have had this for a few years. I just for whatever reason I must never have tried it. Uh But yeah. Um It's interesting. It's not like a typical it, to me it doesn't taste like a typical Christmas ale. Um it like I said, it is very gingerbread for. If you like gingerbread, you will like this, one hundred percent. Harken back to the days of making gingerbread houses and and all that good stuff for Christmas. Uh, but uh, the can, it's a typical platform can, typical design. It does have Christmas lights on it, and uh, does have some different colors, some Christmas colors. So uh, that is interesting. It is very festive, and. Yeah, let me see here. Like I said, it's 8% ABV. Uh, brewed and packaged in Cleveland, Ohio. And, yeah. Let me take another sip here. So I only got one. Let's see. A little ASMR here on LTL. Yeah, it is very gingerbread forward. Very, very gingerbread forward. Um, and then after you drink it, you get all the other... Uh, Christmas ale type notes, but man, when that first hits uh, your taste buds, you get that ginger. So this is like a gingerbread ale almost, to be honest with you. Hmm. Um, not bad. I'm not overwhelmingly in love with it, just being honest. Um, 
So I'm going to go with a rating of 6.4 on this. Hmm. 6.4. Uh, six pack of this, uh, 10.99 at Max Beverage in Parma on Ridge Road, just south of Brook Park Road near the uh, near the 480 um, area, which just got all of the uh, traffic barrels taken away, and the construction over there is pretty much done. That, Finally. That was an absolute disaster over there. So, I mean, if you're driving on Ridge Road and you're trying to go anywhere north of Brook Park Road, good freaking luck. You're going to have to take a loop around. But It's bad, man. Yeah. Real bad. Be that as it may, six point, what did I say, four? 6.4. 6.4 for Platforms South Pole Elf. Get it wherever you, you know, get your beer. It's platform. It's Christmas season, so I'm I'm sure it's everywhere. Like I said, I got it at Max Beverage. So, um, yeah, that's Beer of the Week. Platform Beer Company, of course, is on the near west side of Cleveland in the Ohio City neighborhood. Uh, their main tap house is at 4125 Lorraine Avenue in Cleveland. If you've never been there, you got to check it out. It's great. And their distribution facility is just a few blocks south, uh, right on the border between Ohio City and the, and the, the Clark Fulton neighborhood. So, uh, love platform and the business that they do here in Cleveland. So, as I alluded to earlier, it is for the first time better know a neighborhoods tonight on BCAN, and the reason for that is is that so this is the beginning of the mad rush that we know of as holiday shopping season. And this is, I mean, maybe it's debatable between the, you know, cause you got the procrastinators that always wait until the last weekend before Christmas to, to go out and do shopping. But, uh, historically speaking, you talk about black Friday, cyber Monday, like this is the bookend. This is where all the retailers, you know, get into the black financially for the year. That's why they call it black Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we've already covered some cities in Cleveland that have, major malls and major shopping complexes, places like Strongsville, Menor, and a few others. But tonight we are going to probably the most prominent city or cities in this case for major shopping in the Cleveland area. I am talking about the cities of Lyndhurst and Beechwood. Mm. And the reason we were talking about both is because Cedar Road, which is the southern boundary of Lyndhurst and the northern boundary of Beechwood, is where Legacy Village and Beechwood Place sit. And I'll just talk about the geography in more depth here. So again, Beechwood, uh, northern boundary is Cedar Road. The eastern boundary is I-271. In the south, it's Harvard Road. And in the west, the border jogs a little bit, but it's mostly along South Green Road. And then if you're talking about Lyndhurst, that is the town immediately to the north of there. South Green Road-ish areas, again, nearly the western boundary. Wilson Mills Road, the northern bo- and Ridgebury Boulevard, the northern boundary, and then the eastern boundary is between Brainerd and Lander Road, uh, and of course Cedar Road being the southern boundary. So you're talking about the I-271 corridor here, uh, pretty much between exit 28 and exit 33 ish, or actually exit 35, which is Mayfield Road. So this area is highly much like avon which we discussed last week is highly lucrative it's upper class area well lindhurst is a little more middle class the average home price in lindhurst is about two hundred and ten thousand dollars average home price in beachwood is about 400 gur 400k about uh which again is among the highest we've discussed on this podcast i mean avon i think was just below that so there is a lot of money on the east side in that, especially that lower east side area. Um, but again, when you when you talk about again residential areas, it's a mix of middle and upper class for the most part. Uh, you've got a lot of green space, particularly uh, in two areas. One is if you're looking at Lyndhurst, you're looking in the the south and southwest portion of the city near uh, Sandridge Country Club, and then also what used to be Acacia Country Club, which is now the Acacia. Metro Park Reservation, which is just north of Beachwood Place and just immediately to the east of Legacy Village. And it, it was funny when they converted this park because you could see early on that, oh, yeah, this is obviously a converted golf course. But now if you go there, you really wouldn't have much of an idea. It's completely transformed. There's some areas there that are wetlands now. There's just pretty much heavy forest in most of the areas now. 
So uh, the Metro Parks, pretty much everything they do just turns to, to green. I would say gold, but in reality, it's green. They they just they just do a great job, and they did a heck of a job with Acacia Reservation. And then if you go into Beechwood, you got a much more green space on the the west side of town. Canterbury Golf Club, which I actually mentioned a few weeks ago on the Shaker Heights show because it's right on the border with Shaker Heights, is right there uh, in Beechwood. And then also uh, Highland Park Golf Course and Highland Park Cemetery is right along the city boundary as well. So there's there's lots of natural areas to go. Even though this is a hustle and bustle type area, uh, you do have that. In terms of big commercial corridors, Richmond Road is the main north-south drag uh, outside of I-271. That's uh, Ohio Route 175. The Cleveland Cuyahoga, the Cuyahoga Community College East Campus is right along there in Beechwood, right along Richmond Road. Uh, and as you go up a little bit further from there, you pass a whole bunch of other local businesses, and then once you get up towards Cedar Road, that is where your our main hub is, especially what we're talking about tonight. Beachwood Place has an incredible amount of upper, you know, upper class shopping. Places like you know Silver Mountain Jewelers, Saks Fifth Avenue, Nordstroms. Yeah, these are stores that you're not. You, I mean, I love South Park, and, and Great Lakes Mall is great, too, and there's other great malls in here. You don't get stores like those really anywhere else in the region. You know, they're, it's just very top of the line uh, within Beachwood Place. And then, again, if you go across the line, across Cedar Road into Legacy Village, that's where you're seeing a whole bunch more uh, upper-class shopping, places like Crate and Barrel, uh, RH Cleveland Gallery, uh, Temper, well, Tempur-Pedic is a mattress shop, but that's you know very quali- high quality mattresses there. Uh, Lily Pulitzer, you know Nordstrom Rack is over there. Soma, which is a high end lingerie store, I guess. Uh, you know you just have a whole bunch of stuff like that in there, and then even even the even the um, the restaurants are like really bougie. You know stuff like the Melting Pot, which is the fondue restaurant where you actually it, this is actually ingenious because. At Melting Pot, they actually they bring you out the entree, but it's not even cooked. You actually cook it in the fondue pot before you even eat it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they didn't even have they didn't even have a kitchen. Well, I mean, they do have a kitchen, but it's like they they outsource their own. It's almost like when you go to to Walmart or Target or Giant Eagle and like you hit the self checkout. You know, it's like businesses are finding these crafty ways to outsource their own work to you. And they've done that melting pot and in a restaurant setting, which is actually kind of ingenious, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. And they charge people a premium price for this too, which is pretty cool in their in their case. But um, I, when I went there, it was maybe about four or five years ago. But um, the the best part of it for me was the desserts, where they actually brought out the melted chocolate, and you you put the you know the pieces of white chocolate or the strawberries or whatever else the heck you you want in there. Uh, and you just like put these uh, chocolates and caramels and all these you know different topics on top of it. It's actually quite cool. Um, but again, that is it's right. And, and a lot of your mall mainstays are, are there. Places like Cheesecake Factory, uh, Cedar Creek Grill, and you know some of these other ones. The Brio Tuscan Grill is one that I've been to quite a few times, and that's kind of a favorite of mine too. Um, you, you'll find those at Legacy Village and Beachwood Place as well. And, you know, again, that's right in that center apex, right along Cedar, right along Richmond Road, uh, right on the border between Lyndhurst and Beechwood. And you could you could literally spend the entire day there. I wouldn't necessarily suggest doing that on Friday unless if you're, like, really – if you are, like, seriously into shopping, you could do it. But, like, otherwise, it's going to be a lot, a lot of traffic and probably a lot of frustration. But that's just Black Friday for you. You – Teach your own on that one. Uh, I just know being a, a native Strongsvillian, don't go anywhere near South Park on Black Friday because otherwise it just, it's going to drive you nuts. Don't go anywhere on South Park from, like, Thanksgiving night until uh, <laughs> Christmas <laughs> until Christmas Day. It's yeah. just a disaster area. Get it done early. Get it done early, folks. Well, that pretty much covers it. It is... Lynnhurst and Beechwood are playground of people who love shopping, love commercialism, like to maybe spend some time in the park or on the golf course and have really nice houses for the most part. So if you live in one of these communities, thumbs up to you. 
Yeah. Congratulations on all your success. Yeah. Same thing is basically what I said about Avon last week. You know, ah, this is Avon. Avon. <laughs> That's how the bougier people say it. Yeah. But anyway, that is Beachwood. That is Lynnhurst. And you can wham it with the right hand. That's right. With bo- Actually, no. You can wham it with both hands. That pause. Okay. Anyway. Uh, that's another one in the books. Actually, another couple in the books there uh, mm-hmm. for Better Know a Neighborhood. And moving right along. So we did not have a Browns postgame show last week. Uh, Confluence of factors on that. Um, yeah. One of it being the game itself, but uh, my daughter Scarlett was, has been – very actually pretty sick over the last four or five days, so yeah. I was not able to participate on Sunday. Anyway. That's the that's the main reason, um, because we did say we were going to be there, win, lose, or draw every week. But I'm going to be honest with you. After I did the show by myself the week before, uh, Steve was re- traveling back and recuperating from the Charlotte Marathon. Uh, I, literally, the the show this past week was just going to be a carbon copy. Literally a carbon copy. Here's my here's my overview of what happened during the Browns Bills game. The defense stinks. The defensive coaching stinks. The special teams stinks. Uh, what else? Uh, Our tight ends stink. Uh, <laughs> what else is there? Our defensive I, – I already said the defense, so let's get more specific. Our interior defensive line stinks. Our linebackers stink. Our safeties stink. Stink. <laughs> Our coaching over. I already mentioned the defensive coaching. Our coaching overall stinks. The only one that didn't stink on Sunday was Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, he was pretty good. Jacoby Brissett was awesome, and what, that's what makes that that game even more frustrating because you can't go there and say, "Oh, if Deshaun Watson was in the game, we would have won," because that's not the case. Deshaun no. Watson's probably not throwing for more than three hundred yards and three touchdowns like Jacoby Brissett did. We're losing games. In the absolute antithesis of what we thought. And yeah, this has been a whole season thing. So this is not just me popping off at the mouth today over something that happened on Sunday that hasn't been happening all year. We haven't stopped the run. The the Browns defense has had a case of the runs the entire season. Just literally crapping themselves. And it's right at the middle. And to be honest with you, I know Joe Woods gets a lot of the crap. And yeah, I 100% agree he should be fired. He should be gone. The fact that we can't stop the run, I'm not necessarily going to put on him because the fact that you went into this season with these defensive tackles like the Browns did, it's not Joe Wood's job to sign players. That's firmly on the plate of Andrew Barry. They went into this season knowing that those guys sucked. And guess what? They probably suck more than they thought they were going. The Browns have literally the worst and historic run defense in NFL history this year. You're really that bad? Yes. Oh my. There's a uh there's a there's a analytic there's a metric where I don't know exactly how they come up with the point system, but like the Browns are like a negative thirty four point one eight. And the next worse is negative four. Ooh. We giving up like six yards of carry or something like yeah, that? Yeah. I well I mean the Browns have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Yeah. And we've gotten outrushed seven out of the last eight weeks. It's bad. That's real. I'm guessing the one is is Cincinnati. Yeah, Nick Chubb yeah. is almost leading the NFL in rushing, and you've been outrushed seven out of the last eight weeks. Teams don't even have to throw against us. Yeah, why would you? And if you're getting like six, seven yards of carry, why would you ever pass? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, teams rarely are. I mean, if you watch the first half of that game. Uh, the Bills really didn't do anything offensively until uh, le- the latter stages of the first half. And that that game, the part that pissed me off more than anything else is that game. The, that the first half of that game went essentially all Browns, and we were losing at halftime. Yeah, that was very troubling. And you know, you it was all, on the group text. It seemed like you were all like really, really up in arms and. I hadn't seen much of the first half, and I was like, wait a second, we're only losing by three points. What's the big deal? 
But then when I saw the stats, we should have been up twenty-four to seven. Yeah, because you had a turnover way deep in your own territory when the we had tight ends dropped touchdown passes on two straight plays. That was a yes. So you lost four points there, and then on another drive you had the backup center. Uh, yep. Fumble the exchange, and yep. then you know you lost the possession there. And, and then that he, was a killer. And then yeah, and then he went out injured. And then the guy that came was basically our fourth string center. Which so I can't really like fault him too. I mean, there might as well just not even been a center out there. I mean, uh, he was just getting annihilated on every play. The fact that Jacoby Brissett had the numbers that he did with the way that our center was playing after Ethan Posich went out was is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, and this he, is another thing. And and again, the center position has been decimated with injuries. Our offensive line. Oh, I forgot one. Our offensive line stinks. <laughs> Jed Wills, my God, show some effort once in a while. Everybody wants to defend his PFF grade and how he's actually grading well on PFF. Seems like the problem is with PFF. You know what his grade is with DJF? Shit. He's terrible. And Jack Conklin, God God bless him. He can't stay healthy anymore. He's he's done. That drop has got to go on our soundboard. That is so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. If you're not familiar, my initials are DJF, so that that's my rating for him. As opposed to the current AEW champion, MJF. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But anyway, it's, I mean, it's all bad. And, you know, uh, it's the same people trying to defend the coach on social media, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, I'm not – Kevin Stefanski is not the main reason why we stink. But in certain situations, he's not helping the cause. And the Browns are – Oh, you mean like going for two when you're down by 12? Oh, God. Don't even get me started. <laughs> um, the Browns – Cut it whichever way you want. We're three and seven, and the season's over. Now, I'm getting really upset with the fact that we're three and seven. I predicted us to be four and seven when when Deshaun Watson came back from injury. So, really, the Browns are right there with what I projected. The problem is how we got here is nowhere near what I projected. No, not for me either. And. Uh, <laughs> You know they've been they've been up and down this year, but I, does anybody really think that the Browns are going to rise up at home against uh, Tom Brady and beat the Bucks? I mean, I don't know. I kind of do have that feeling actually. If that ha- Tampa's, I mean, Tampa's started to put it together a little bit the last couple of weeks, but I don't know. They they that seems like a game that's gettable, honestly. I just have no faith, and I, mean, I don't know listen, if they will. But I mean, listen, I, I give them at least a shot. It, gettable, yes, but but you're talking about a football team that's lost six out of seven games. True, and the only game we won is against a team that we always beat, no matter what's going on. That does seem. We talked, you know, we talked about in our. In that's our, even more incredible in lieu of the games before and after that. Cincinnati we talked game, about in our it? in our text chat that the Browns have now played. Uh, so in the last full season of games. The Browns are five and twelve. Yes, and three of those wins have take been against out the, the take out the three games against the Bengals, which is a team that no matter who you put out there, Baker Mayfield, uh, uh, who who started at quarterback the last game last year because Baker didn't start. I can't even remember who was our backup quarterback last year. Well, whatever he won. Jacoby Brissett. The Browns have beaten the Bengals three straight straight times with three straight quarterbacks with three different quarterbacks. Wasn't it Case Keenum? Oh, yeah, Case Keenum. There you go. Who's now the backup in Buffalo. Hmm. So if you take out those games, the Browns are 2-12 and in their last 14 games, not against the Cincinnati Bengals. 2-12. and One came against Carolina. Who's horrible. Terrible. Another was against Pittsburgh, who also stinks. Yeah. I, I mean... Oh, gosh. I don't know. I don't know. And, hey, yippee, this is the last game before Deshaun Watson comes back. I mean, it's just it, – it's a giant fart noise right now. I mean, all the all the Browns had to do was win one or two more of these games coming up. And then if they win against Tampa Bay on Sunday, I mean, we're thinking, 
All we're, right. We're still Hell, in this. We're right in this. I mean, that's what we said. Like five and six was the target. I mean, yeah. you said they were. Now gonna be, we're now we're damn, gonna... You actually have a chance to be completely right. If the Browns beat Tampa on Sunday, you're Record prediction will have been correct. Yeah, for the first four and seven. Games. Four and seven. I believe you. You were five and I six. I had five and six. Yeah, so, so I'm going to be off by at least one game, maybe two. But we put ourselves in a situation to where this is so unfair to Deshaun Watson, so unfair. And I, I'm talking it about sucks to be him. And listen, I'm talking about on the field. Uh, him as a as a guy and a person, you know, think what you want to think. But I'm talking about on the field. It's unfair to him. He. This is a guy that hasn't played football in two calendar years, and. You're going to ask him, at, well, if you lose on Sunday, then it doesn't matter. But if you win on Sunday, you're basically going to ask him to come in after not playing for two seasons and now playing with a new, a brand-new team to win the last six games of the year. Which is LOL. Now, like, now I will say, the Browns' schedule outside of the game against Baltimore, and normally I would say Cincinnati too, but we always beat Cincinnati, so I'm already chalking that one up as a win. The, outside of the game against Baltimore, when Deshaun comes back, even the Browns are going to be favored in every game. Yeah, not going very down difficult. the stretch. It's ter- It's a terrible schedule. That's why. That's oh my god. That's why that I I said it when it happened. That ooh, I already dropped an S bomb today. I mm. almost dropped an F bomb. Yeah, I was close. That freaking Jets game is going to haunt us for the entire season. I mean, it it was the one that sent us on this downward trajectory. No doubt about it. And, and I you mean, had you a can also seventeen could, lead yep. with under two minutes left. You didn't finish the game. You can also look to obviously the Chargers game and the the Falcons game. But Chargers game didn't. Well, yeah, neither one of those helped. I mean, even though you didn't exactly have a lead at any point in the Falcons game, but that game was still there for the taking. But the Jets game is going to haunt us the rest of the season. Hmm. Absolutely, because like, I don't want to hear. You, oh well, they're six and five, and they're they're a lot better than we thought. Now. We had a thirty to seventeen lead with less than two minutes left. I don't care if you're facing. You the, could, I don't care if you're facing the 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 eighty five Bears. The butterfly effect is real, folks. And what I mean by that is, you think the Jets are six and five right now? If the Jets lose that game, no, I don't. Well, I mean, literally, you can no, make but, a yeah. real case that I mean, well, literally, they'd be five and six. But like, I can make a case that that team, after losing badly in the first two weeks has a very negative viewpoint of themselves and they, you know, don't exactly come out of it and they're like 3 and 8 yeah. right now, which is what everybody thought was going to happen with the Jets. Uh, conversely, the opposite happened in, in Cleveland. We would have been 2 and 0. We played Pittsburgh next. We beat them. I mean, we could have been 3 and 0. At that point, you're thinking, you know, maybe maybe they do get lose to Atlanta. Maybe they do get beat by the Chargers, but they probably don't get blown out by New England. They you know, they probably are able to win a couple of those close games that they weren't able to win. I mean, close yeah. game lost PTSD or whatever you want to call it. I don't mean to, you know, make light of real Listen, PTSD. Yeah. But it's really like it's a thing. <laughs> Listen. You know? Yeah. I mean, even if j- just the Jets game, you just win the Jets game, everything else stays the same. You have a chance on Sunday to get to five and six by the time Deshaun Watson gets back. And what did we say all offseason? Just find a way to get to five and six when Deshaun gets back. Just find a way. But they're not. They can't do it mathematically. They can't do it because they. This team has no idea how to win. Not a, not a clue. No. Not a clue. So I. Uh, yeah. You know what? You know what's going to happen. I can already see it. The Browns are going to rise up somehow and beat beat the Bucks. Go to four and seven. Beat Houston. No. Oh. They're going to lose in Houston. Oh, they're gonna, oh, really? And Deshaun's return, they're going to lose to Houston. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you you thought that that the uh, the crowd here on December second, two thousand ten, when LeBron came back to Cleveland, was hostile. Multiply that by three, because there's going to be three times as many people in that stadium at, at uh, in Houston for Deshaun Watson coming back. That's going to be Houston Super Bowl because they're what, yeah. one eight and one or something like that. Yeah, and they so just they have nothing to care about. And they the rest just bench the their quarterback, except for Davis Mills. Yeah, yeah. Kyle Allen's going to start on Sunday. Hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, they're or next that's, Sunday, next Sunday. That's well, it. The, he's going to start this Sunday for them, and then probably, you know, unless he yeah. gets injured, we'll start. So, bottom line is, is aside from the two divisional games against Cincinnati and and Baltimore, the only team the Browns play down the stretch that's any good 
oddly enough, is the Commanders. Yeah, the, the who Commandos. Who seem to be on a roll at the moment, and they're over 500. They're, they're yeah, like which the, is a, the Jets of the NFC, honestly. That's a, Thank you. That is a prime example. I'm so sick and tired of people on, on, on Twitter saying, oh, well, we can't judge Kevin Stefanski because he doesn't have a quarterback. What's Ron Rivera doing in Washington? Who are his quarterbacks? Carson Wentz and friggin' uh, who's the who's the guy that beat the Eagles? Oh gosh, who's I, their quarterback? I, I, I couldn't even tell you. Oh, it was Heineke. The guy, it's the guy who took the knee. Heineke. And, and yeah. <laughs> got the flag at the end of the game to win the game. Heineke. <laughs> uh, 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 what's what, what's what's Brian Dayball's record with Dan, Daniel Dimes right now? Pretty darn good. What was it seven and three? I, I mean, think. the Giants laid an egg this past week, but you know, I, I don't want to hear. Good. I don't want to hear this nonsense uh, about Kevin Stefanski with, "Oh, isn't that a good quarterback?" And blah 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 blah. So, so yeah, there are there are coaches who have the benefit of having a franchise quarterback. There are also uh, coaches who don't have that benefit and still find a way to win. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm not saying fire the guy, but the fact that like. Like, there's a certain section of our fan base that just will not blame him for anything. Yeah. It's almost like the reverse effect of Baker Mayfield last year. There was just a sect of fans that would not blame Baker for anything. Nothing's Baker's fault. Oh, he's hurt. Oh, uh, uh, Stefanski doesn't like him, so he's calling plays that, uh, that, that will intentionally make him look bad. Blah, 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 blah. All this stuff. It's switched to the other foot this year. Eh, no, nothing's Stefanski's fault. Oh, it's the defense. Oh, the offense is good. Yeah, no crap. But guess what? Kevin Stefanski's not the offensive coordinator. He's the head-flipping coach. He's responsible for the offense. The offense has been good. He's responsible for the defense. The defense has been horrible. He's responsible for the special teams, and the special teams is worse than everything. So he's down bad two out of three. And if you want to blame the coordinators, fine. But Joe Woods should have been fired six weeks ago by Stefanski, and he won't do it, so I'm going to put it on him. Yep. That's totally fair. Mike Prefer should have been fired six weeks ago, but they won't do it, and so I'm going to put it on the coach. Those guys work underneath the head coach, and they're not doing their job. And if they're not going to be held accountable, then I'm going to hold the head coach accountable. Sorry. And again, I'm not saying fire Kevin Stefanski. But the fact that there's people out there that just will not say he's done anything wrong is ridiculous. Astounding, it's given ridiculous. the fact that the team is three and seven. Like, thank you. If we, the team was five, if the team was five hundred right now, yeah, I would say okay. Yeah, uh, the defense and the special teams suck, and I'm still saying that. But we're three and seven, and we're three and seven because in certain games. <clears throat> the Chargers game, <clears throat> uh, the Jets game, there were issues all over the field. And yesterday and, and, and Sunday, while the offense played really good, well, not the offense, Jacoby Brissett played really well. That's about it. And some of the wide receivers. Yeah, I would say Amari we Cooper couldn't run- and Donovan Peoples-Jones yes, both had a good 100%. game. 100%. But the offensive line was horrible. The running game, because of the offensive line, could not get it going, and the tight ends couldn't catch a friggin' cold. Our tight end room has been an abject disaster for two years now. I mean, listen, David Njoku has been good this year. He just came back from injury. I'm not ne- not necessarily on him, but Harrison Bryant dropped a touchdown, and then Jacoby Brissett threw him another one, and for whatever reason, he doesn't know how to jump and get two feet inbounds. I mean, and then Farrell Brown. I mean, God, Jacoby put not, could not have put that ball more perfectly, and you just let it go right through your hands. I mean, help the guy out, for God's sake. So, phew. Well, anyway, um, if if uh, if that wasn't bad enough, the greatest quarterback of all time is coming to town on Sunday. Even if he isn't looking so great these days. No, I mean, yes. he's 45, but yeah. But I will say they have they have won their last two games, and – with that division being as bad as it is, even though they've had a pretty crappy season, they've still got the division championship like in their sights. Yeah, because their the, division the is, South is, is not good. Uh, so the they're Falcons gonna be, are the only team that are actually pushing that. So they're going to be something. motivated as hell on Sunday. Of course. 
Are the Browns going to be motivated as hell? I have no idea. Yeah, who knows? So Has anybody called Giselle Boonchin and tried to get her seat <laughs> in the front row behind the Bucks bench? Yeah, right. You know, that might be our best shot, you know. A little, little bit of that witchcraft. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I I think the Browns are going to lose on Sunday. <laughs> What's the line at right now? Whatever it is, I'm taking the Bucks. It's got to be Tampa by, I'm guessing, by just like a couple, if I had to guess. But uh, uh, right now it is, yeah, Tampa by three and a half. Actually, okay. that's actually a little wider than I was expecting. Uh, we I'm need, taking we, the Browns with that line. By the way, uh, we won't do it on the show just because the lines might change. Yeah. But um, right after the show, we need to make our picks from th- for Thursday because there's three games on or tomorrow. Actually. We have a bad ten. Well, yeah, this week. Well, it, it's easier to remember because you got three games on Thanksgiving, and, and you yeah. know this is my annual. So I actually time got. I got to post it tomorrow. to get on the soapbox about the worst tradition in sports, which is subjecting the entire nation to have to watch the Detroit Lions at noon on Thanksgiving every year. I'd I'm see, so I... sick and tired of that. And honestly, I hope Buffalo beats them like seventy to nothing. I hope it's an absolute complete. I actually blow out. I actually uh, that everybody turns off in the second quarter. That's I actually what I want. hate more so to watch the Cowboys on Thanksgiving than the Lions. Well, at least, at least they're the Cowboys are not a juggernaut, but like at least their team is usually half decent. They're usually playing better teams. Yeah, but them and their fans are so damn annoying. Like the Lions are like the lovable losers. Well, you that don't have to tell you, me. Well, yeah, the Lions are the lovable losers that you know you can root for. I always find a way. I always root for the Lions, and and I'll tell you this much. You 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 might want the Bills to beat them seventy to nothing. I want the Lions to beat the Bills seventy to nothing. I'm. This is another thing. You know, what really grinds my gears is Browns fans okay, because Griffin. is Browns fans because the Browns stink. Saying, "Oh, I'm going to jump on the Bills bandwagon." You know what? Stay the hell over there, then, Anthony. Well, that was a joke. <laughs> but yeah, stay the hell over there. Don't come back. That I I don't want to hear. I. People, oh, they're just like us, so I'm going to root for them. Why would I want a team just like us to win a Super Bowl to 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 put us even more deep into despair? I'm never going to – I just said I want the Lions to win on Sunday, but I never want them to win a Super Bowl. I never want the Bills to win a Super Bowl. I never want uh, – who's another team? The Cardinals? Pittsburgh. Well, Pitt, I'm, I'm talking about teams that have never won oh, Super Oh, they have never won. Okay, so that would be Houston, Jacksonville, well. <laughs> Arizona. Houston winning a Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> Even Tim Duncan thinks that's retarded. <laughs> See who else is in there? Tennessee, Carolina, uh, Minnesota. Mm, who else we got? Arizona. Here? Oh yeah, Arizona's never won one. Uh, the Chargers. I don't think the Chargers have. They've been to one. Yeah, they've been, but they have not won. Cincinnati. <laughs> ha ha. Cincinnati. They made three, but they haven't won any. Oh scabs. Uh, I think that's pretty much everybody. Philly won their first a couple years ago, right? Yes. Yeah. That's got to be everybody. Yeah, I can't think of anyone else. Uh, Chicago's won one. Yeah. Green Bay's won four. Chiefs have won. Chiefs! Yeah. Cowboys, Broncos, Seahawks. Niners. Niners, Raiders, they've all won. Yeah. Rams have won. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, so there's like eight or nine teams, ten. Why would I want a team that hasn't won the Super Bowl to win a Super Bowl when I haven't won a Super Bowl? That's the most asinine. Oh, Atlanta Falcons have not won one either. Now, now, there's a caveat to that. If one of those teams gets to the Super Bowl and they're facing the Bengals, Ravens, or Steelers, then I will have to to root for them. Yeah, I mean, that's – and I know you would throw New England in there. I don't really care about New England anymore, but, you know, I'm sure you'd throw Dallas in there too, but – yeah, I I mean, if it was like New England or Dallas versus like, you know, one of those aforementioned AFC, well, it couldn't be New England, but if it was Dallas against one of those aforementioned AFC North teams, then I'd be rooting for Dallas. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Me, I don't know. Maybe so anyway, my bad. God, boy, but, that was a tangent and a half. No, but I mean, that's that's where we're at at this yeah. point. We're, we're, ga- we're hedging mm-hmm. on... Who so yeah, to all you, Super Bowl all this you year. Browns fans so, that are that are going, oh, yeah, nobody nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. F off. Yeah, while well, we're talking about other teams, like yeah, at this point, go Eagles, go Dolphins. Like those two teams, I'd love it if one of those teams took it home. But like, yeah, well, at this point, 
I root for the Browns and the Browns only. I root, I root, <laughs> you I, don't care about anyone else. I, I root for the Browns and whoever plays the Bengals, Ravens, and Steelers. That's who I root for. Could be Satan himself, and I would root for him to beat the Steelers. And I don't think I've ever said it on this podcast, but the only reason I have any care whatsoever for Miami is because the Browns left town in the 90s, and I was eight, and I needed to pick a new team. Yeah, I mean, I'm that way. I'm really, I'm that way with the Green Bay Packers. That's a team that I, that I latched onto. So if but, anybody had to go through that, then I understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, wow. Okay. Uh, you didn't give your pick on on Sunday. You think uh, for the Browns? Uh, I think they're. I think they're. Um, give me the money line. I think they're actually going to win the game. Whoa! All right. Yeah, Tampa's just been a very meh. Kind of disappointing team. I don't. Th- their offense is actually more abundant enough that I feel like the Browns' defense could actually slow them down a little bit. Okay. And if Jacoby Reset plays as well as he has in at least half of these games, I think they they will win the game. Yeah. So interesting. The question is, will he? Boy, that would make things very interesting if the Browns do win on. Well, I don't know if I should say that because again. If the Browns still find a way to win, gives on, them a little bit more incentive before <laughs> Watson's return. Right, and then if they do what they're supposed to do against the the, the worst team in football, and they get to five and seven, then I mean, you're, then your you're chances like, are still small, but at least they're alive. But again, the AFC just seems to be beating the living crap out of each other. And here's the problem: look at all the teams that are seated like fourth through eighth in the AFC. We lost to all the of Jets, them. the yep. Bills, the wait a minute, uh, Patriots. the Chargers, the Patriots. The Patriots. Who else? Cincinnati. I mean, okay, you beat them, but like Baltimore. Baltimore. Well, Baltimore's I mean, first one of them is going to win the. Yeah. The good. I mean, like we said, it's just like last year. It would be easier to win the AFC North than it would be to get a wild card. Yeah. The only problem is Baltimore's got like the easiest schedule coming in. You're not catching Baltimore. No. That's not happening. The you only could way possibly catch Cincinnati. The only way you were going to tougher. The only way you were going to catch uh, Baltimore is if you beat them first time around. And we were four and six right now, and they were six and four. I would revise that to say the only way you're catching them is if Lamar Jackson gets hurt. Like well, you funny year. you should say that he did not practice today with a hip injury. Oh, okay. So, so, you're, so you're saying there's a chance? Yeah. Well, I mean, it would have to be like what happened last year when he when uh, he. Browns had a high out, yeah, play again. had a high ankle sprain against the Browns, and then the Ravens lost their last six games. Um, so, uh, yeah, I that was good times, by the way. You know what's funny? We just railed on the Browns for fifteen to twenty minutes, and and now we're already like, well, if they beat the Bucks, and then oh, they play the worst team in the league after that. They get to five and seven, and blah blah blah. I should but you said earlier that but you I should and, and earlier in this segment in you said, well, watch them beat Tampa and then turn around and lose to Houston. Isn't that not, so, isn't that like, not the most Browns thing that, ever? That would make sense, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, but I don't think we're going to win on Sunday. Mm. I mean, a team a team that doesn't know how to win at the end against Tom freaking Brady. I mean, how do you think that game's going to end up going? I think the Browns will win by multiple scores. That's the only Jesus. way they can win. Boy, the I'm usually the one that's optimistic about No, cuz like that's the that's the easiest way for them to win is by multiple scores. So, well, they don't win close games yeah. unless it's against the Panthers, apparently. But anyway, let's talk about a team that actually does know how to win a close game. Let's talk about the week that was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Ah. Yeah. So Come on, Cavs. Got to make it happen. Come on, Cavs. With your fast break action. Got to make it happen. So the Cavaliers, after going through, I'll, I'll just fast forward to tonight right now. They're playing against Portland, who are wearing some ridiculous aqua slash jerseys. Almost looks like the Cavs' 90s jerseys uh, tonight. And not surprisingly, the Cavaliers are leading at halftime by nine. So I'm liking our chances on that just based on Portland's jersey choice. But uh, in the wake of what was a really terrible week two weeks ago for the Cavs, they have come out and they have played a heck of a lot better recently. Uh, the week, if we want to go all the way back to last Wednesday, they lost in Milwaukee, 113-98. That's not really a surprise. Milwaukee is extremely good. They're, I believe, the number one team in the NBA right record right now, or at least they were back at the time they played them. After that, the Cavaliers, and you know, we talk about form a lot in sports, especially with regard to soccer. And I feel like the game Friday was one where form really weighed on the Cavaliers a lot. 
They had come into the game against Charlotte, who was awful, had just lost like seven of their last eight games, and the Cavaliers comfortably led pretty much the whole night, and then they tried their best to gack it at the end of the game. Charlotte hit four threes in the final minute of regulation to force overtime, but yet the Cavaliers found a way to dig deep in the second overtime after a couple of huge Darius Garland threes even got it to a second overtime, and they pulled the game out 132-22. It's not often that a win over one of the worst teams in the league at home is like one of your big turning points of the season, but this very well could be for the Cavaliers because they had lost four in a row, actually five in a row, and it looked like for a moment there it was going to be six and it was going to be a real push-the-panic-button moment for the Cavs. And yet they found a way to pull that game out. And then since then, they've sort of been on autopilot. They crushed Miami, a shorthanded Miami team two days later, 113-87, and then played against a a tough Hawks team that, you know, despite their record, has a lot of talent and has one of the top, you know, individual players in the league in Trey Young. And they beat them 114-102. So it looks like every the ship's been righted. The Cavs are now 11 and 6. Um, having won their last three, they're leading at halftime tonight. I mean, there's still a ways to go in that one, but, you know, you like the way things stand at the moment. Cavaliers right now are 11-6, and six, which is third place in the Eastern Conference, only behind Milwaukee and Boston. Actually, Boston has moved into first place now. Miami's, uh, excuse me, Milwaukee's lost a few games. They're on what, like a, like a 53-win pace right now? Something, Something like that. Like that. Yes, they're... Yeah, because if they win tonight, they'll have basically won two games to every one they've lost, which would give them like 54, 55 wins. 54, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's that's all good as far as I'm concerned. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's continuing to be a feeling out process, right? I mean, I, I think we all had a little bit of uh, um, <clears throat> inflated expectations after the start that the Cavaliers had. I mean, they lost their opener, and then they won eight in a row, beating – some pretty good teams. I mean, they they beat they Boston beat twice. Boston twice in that stretch. Only two other teams have even done that. Uh, who else did they beat in that stretch? I can't remember. But there was a couple other pretty uh, good teams. Oh boy, Chicago. I know they beat once, even though they're not playing well to start yeah. the year. Uh, we've lost to Milwaukee. We've lost to the Clippers. We've lost to the Kings. Warriors. Warriors. Um, and they bring up their games. Yeah, so, Let's see here. So, but I mean, you. The lack of. Listen. Most of the other teams in that eight-game losing eight-game winning streak were bad. Lakers yeah. are bad. Uh, Pistons are bad. We Knicks beat the Lakers. Bad. Uh, make Magic are bad. Um. Yeah. So we obviously there there's there's no complaining to be done about the Donovan Mitchell trade. That guy has been just absolute fabulous, just gas since uh, since coming to the Cavaliers. The issue, which has been the issue, and it's 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 starting to me to to think that it's Kobe Altman's blind spot. This team still doesn't have a wing. Yeah, they still don't have that three and D guy on no. the wing that can defend and shoot. They just yeah. don't have it. They haven't had it for years. No, they haven't had it since LeBron left, uh, and they still don't have it. So Donovan Mitchell's not that player. Donovan Mitchell's like six two. Um, you know, Chetty Osman's doing a decent job coming off the bench, but he's not a guy that can you can put on uh, an opponent's best player and say, hey, go shut him down. Um, we need that guy. Maybe that guy's coming at the trade deadline this year. I don't know. But I think – I don't think it's going to hinder the Cavs in the regular season too much. But playoff time, you know, when you're going up against guys like – and, again, we've, we've beaten Boston twice this year mm-hmm. – but if you're going up against Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown in a seven-game series in the playoffs, you're going up against Giannis, you're going up against uh, Jimmy Butler, uh, those are, in the Eastern Conference, some top-notch um, you know, wings that we're not, we're just not going to be able to handle. Kevin Durant's another one, you know, if the Nets can figure their crap out. Boy, I'll um, tell you what, what a dumpster fire that's been yeah. so far. Yeah, That's a whole other show <laughs> uh, in another market. But, yeah. But but again, eleven and six, uh, they're winning right now. Who knows how that game's going to end up? It's it's fantastic. Um, really, don't have anything bad to say. I mean, the Cavs either win a bunch of, right now; they're either winning a bunch in a row or losing a bunch in a row, and that just seems like a team that, while has a lot of talent, just 
hasn't really gelled yet. And they don't know how to – they really don't know how to play off offense uh, in the clutch at the end of games yet. And I think that that comes with the fact that you have two very dom- ball-dominant guards, and they're just trying to figure it out. And I'll tell you what, they're doing a hell of a job while they're trying to figure this out because Donovan Mitchell is averaging 30 points a game and uh, Darius Garland's averaging like 24, 25. So – yeah, I mean, if they're going to play like this while they figure it out, I mean, watch out when they do figure it out. So, yeah, I'm I have nothing but good things to say about the Cavs, aside from Kobe Altman. Go get me that that three and D wing. Come on. Yeah, and despite that little losing streak the Cavs had, only two teams in the whole league have a better record than the Cavs right now. The aforementioned Milwaukee and Boston. No teams in the Western Conference have a really? better record than the Cavs. That's incredible. Really? Wow. Yeah, Phoenix is eleven and six. Utah is twelve and seven. After that, the Kings and the Clippers are both four games over five hundred. Utah is twelve and seven. They traded away their two best players in the offseason. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. How's Sacramento ten and six? That's another one. Listen, they have they have a decent amount of talent on that team, and Mike Brown is their coach now. For all the for all the The Mike know, Brown haters out there. Yeah, for with the Cavs and yeah, things didn't really work out with LeBron and Mike Brown, but Mike Brown's a pretty okay coach, so you get a bunch of young talent around him and let him uh, harp on defense. Uh, he's going to get some wins in Sacramento, and I think Sacramento might make the playoffs for the first time in a long time. It's been a very long time for them, no doubt about it. I mean, who's? I don't think anybody's been out of the playoffs longer than Sacramento. I think it's been like since 2005, 2006. That's been a lot of years. 15, 16 years at least. Yeah. But, yeah, so – Good on the Cavs. Great start to the season. And uh, hopefully they keep it going. Indeed. So. Oh, and speaking of Houston, uh, the Rockets are 3-14 and 14 if you yeah. need them. Yeah. They're bad. Uh, Red Rocket, what's what's your guys' basketball team that didn't win a game, your rec team? Oh, well, that was uh, that was winless protection. Yeah, winless protection plays more defense than the Houston Rockets. Oh man, so you're saying that Houston doesn't have any elite wing defenders? <laughs> well, pause. We'll leave that at there. We'll leave that there. <laughs> the the listeners don't know that reference, but that is that is gold, right? The there. Houston Rockets are giving up 118 points a game. Oh, <laughs> they do not have any elite wing defenders. No. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so. We did that segment uh, during the baseball season for the Guardians, and now we're going to switch to the basketball season. So we will do a week that was with the Cavaliers throughout the uh, throughout the rest of the season. Indeed. So, well, before we get on out of here, uh, last week we did a preview for the World Cup. Yes, we did. And we got to talk about a game with the U.S. that happened on Tuesday, and then we got to talk about the big game coming up on Black Friday. Massive. Uh, in Doha, I believe. Yes. They're playing that game. Yeah, so let's uh, let's first take a look back. Uh, the U.S. opened group play against Wales on Tuesday. Yes. And I'll tell you what, they played incredibly well in that first half. Uh, they were, and I think some of it has to do with the style of play that Wales wanted to come out with. Wales is not a team that really takes it to you. They sit back very much. So U.S. was always going to have the advantage in possession in that game. Um, but I thought they did some good things with that possession. They created chances. And then, obviously, the goal was just awesome. Delicious. Um, between uh, Christian Pulisic and Tim Weah. Uh, son of AC Milan legend George Weah, by the way. Mm. Um, so it looked really good at halftime, and then the wheels fell off in the second half. The game was a tale of two halves, two halves. You mean you mean halves? Halves. I'm gonna play hard for two halves. Yeah. Well, the U.S. did not play hard for two halves. No, it almost it almost seemed like the styles of play just completely switched. Um, in the second half, especially early on in the second half, which really put the U.S. under pressure for the rest of the game, Wales was very much in possession. They were very much trying to trying to go forward. Um, you know, obviously we know what happened with the goal, which was just, uh, just. I mean, really, like, okay, what are you doing? Wales was in the ascendancy. Obviously, they were pressuring the U.S. They had 
two headers, the second one of which absolutely should have been a goal. A guy put it over yeah. the, the bar. But, like, aside from that, how many real guilt-edge chances have Wales gotten? They really hadn't gotten many. No. What in the world? So if you're a center back especially, what in the world are you doing making a sliding tackle on a guy from behind when his back is to the goal, almost back to the edge of the 18? On I mean, his, on his, and the ball is on his wrong foot, too. And, and, you know, Walker Zimmerman was having such a great game up to that point. Was that just, like, a moment of madness by him? or like? Well, I mean, it's, I, it just goes to show you that he plays in the MLS. And, you know, it's just it's, – it's, it's le- there's levels to this thing, you I know? I mean, there are, there are center backs that are playing in Europe that Greg Berhalter didn't call up. I mean, John Brooks is one that immediately comes to mind. But, like – but is, I mean, that's, that I mean, that, a, the, what he did was something that you get taught in Smur- in, in like Smurfs. Yeah, you just don't do that. The guy is fifteen. It, the box is eighteen yards uh, long. Yeah. Gareth Bale received the ball like fifteen yards away from goal with his back to goal. Right. You park your body on his ass. Pause. And you don't let you. him turn. You have him pass the ball back. Or a pass, yes. This moron decided to slide tackle right through his legs and the guy's back was to the goal. Yeah. No complaints. Stone cold penalty. No, the only complaints were his teammates to him. Yeah. I mean, that was horrible. Is it? And then credit much? and then credit Matt Turner. Yeah, that was a really good he penalty. He very nearly saved that. That he, was a he, really good penalty, and he got a hand to it. It was just Gareth Pale hit it with so much power that he didn't have a chance. Yeah. I mean, that would have been a game winning save if he would have had it. And I mean well, I mean, I'll just say what I was gonna say. Is it an exaggeration to say that Walker Zimmerman cost cost the US the victory? Yes. No, no, it's not an exaggeration. Yeah, that's 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 the way I saw it. Because like you said, uh, Wales had Wales had most of the possession in the second half, but uh, aside from the penalty and then those those two uh, headers back to back, they really didn't have much of a. They didn't. Have, they didn't, have they, didn't they didn't cause much danger. Yeah. And of course, I mean, one, Wales was for whatever reason I don't know. Wales was like playing for the draw, so when they got the goal, they went back into their shell. And the U.S. I did think that was odd. And the U.S. was going back on the attack, trying to get the goal. I would have thought that if so, if you're down one nil and then you score to tie it up after 80 minutes. My thing is, you got the momentum. You go gotta for go the for the throw. victory, don't you? Yes. Yeah. And it was the 80th minute. So yeah, you got 10 minutes left. Go for it. I mean, maybe, you, maybe Wales's thought process was like, we can possibly go through with a tie, but we absolutely cannot go through with a loss. I mean, maybe. I mean, and, did they think that they can hold England? Maybe. Maybe. You know, okay. I'll tell you one thing. The U.S. now has to go for the win against England. I don't mean to be conspiracy theorist or anything, but I think it's a big advantage to Wales that they get to play England in the third game. Not just because theoretically. I know where you're going. I don't agree with that. Not just theoretically. If they beat Iran, they'll get the points on the board, so the U.S. will actually have to make up the ground on the third match day. I mean, that much is indisputable, you would think. Now, if Wales loses to Iran, then this is a moot discussion. But... Iran looked terrible, and they they lost. I know where you're going with this, and I I I don't agree with it. It just seems very hard for me to believe that England, if they've already qualified for the last round, that they would really be busting it against Wales, trying to knock out literally, basically, what is a segment of their own country, the UK. Yeah, but they don't like each other. The 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 national teams, Wales and England, do not like each other. Hmm. So while yeah, that's why. Them sitting some guys and resting uh, would make sense, only because they would have already have had the like the group. They'll definitely wrapped up at that point. Some guys, I would think, and yeah. that would be fine. I mean, that would make sense that Gareth Southgate would do that. That's why it is, it is litter. I mean, if the U.S. don't get a point against England, they're probably done. I would, yeah, I would agree because so they have to get a point. You need to. I make, think you need to win against England. You need to make England. Well. I think any result, any result, win or draw against England is good enough, because at least yeah. that will force England. They won't be qualified to the next round yet. They'll still have to play hard. True, and they might still rotate some guys, but they'll actually have to go for it against Wales in the third game. True. Whereas if you lose to Wales, or, or, or excuse me, if the U.S. loses to England, England will be through already. 
at that point, you're kind of hoping, and the U.S. will get to see the, the Wales-Iran result before their game, which is helpful in this case. You, if you're a USA fan, it, it almost seems dirty to even say this, but you're kind of hoping for Iran to at least get a point against yeah. Wales. Oh, yeah. Because if that happens, then all you need to do is beat Iran and you're through. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see if it comes down to that. I actually thought Iran was going to finish third in the group at the at the outset. But the way they looked in the first match, it looks like that might not be the case. I still think the U.S. is going to beat England. Okay. I've thought it ever since the group draw. Ever since I knew we were in the same group as them. Listen. There have been a lot of games since that U.S.-Wales game. Argentina lost. They lost to Saudi Arabia. Today, Germany lost. Germany lost to Japan. Oh, ding. I called that one. Uh, who? Somebody else drew. That was – who drew Morocco? Croatia. Croatia. Um, they're, They've been historic. I Morocco getting out of that group, so I'm not too surprised by that one. Uh, I mean, who else? What else is in? Uh, what was it? Uh, Poland and Mexico drew. Poland and Mexico that, tied. That wasn't a really surprising. No, that result. was a fifty-fifty game to begin with. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's. This is going to be a listen. This is a tournament that's not being played when it normally is. It's being played in a really hot climate. Weird things are going to happen in this tournament. And if England thinks that they're just going to roll out the ball and beat the United States. They're gonna, C- get, they're, gonna get, they're gonna get beat. C two thousand and ten. C nineteen fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's coming home just because you guys beat Iran. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> Freaking England. <laughs> so it's going to be very interesting. I. Oh man. I had draw in this game. I'm I'm sticking to that. I'm going with the U.S. Man. All Something. Right. You know, it's going to be one of those magical finishes, like 2010 against Algeria or, uh, what was it, 2014 against Ghana, where they scored in the 86th minute to win the yep. game. It's going to be something mm-hmm. like that, I think. And if that does happen, if that does happen, there's a chance that England might the not England get doesn't out. get out. Cause, okay, so because I'm telling you, speaking, Wales and England do not like each other. If theoretically speaking, Wales were to win against Iran yep. and the U.S. knocked off England, England would be in third place going to the last match day. They would have to beat Wales to go through. Yeah. And, and probably, that well, is a dicey proposition. Yeah. The only thing for them that would save it is the fact that they beat Iran by three goals in the opening week. So they probably would have the goal differential advantage over if they were to the tie The only way that would come into play would be is if Iran were to beat the U.S. on the final match day. That's true. And then the U.S. could get knocked out on goal difference That's if true. England and Wales tie. That's true. So, so everything is all to play to for. Yeah, I was very disappointed with the U.S. Excuse me. With the U.S. losing in the fashion that they did, obviously. But uh, everything is certainly there to play for. Obviously, they're going to be big underdogs on Friday. But, I mean, when has the U.S. played in the World Cup and have not been underdogs? They're always underdogs. Mm. I mean, when? I didn't feel like they were underdogs in 2010. I mean, they had Algeria and Slovenia in their group. That was one they, I think most people thought they should have gotten out of. Yeah, but I, like, I guess I'm mainly talking about like... But once, certainly once you get to the knockout stage, anytime, you're going to be an underdog all the time. But yeah, but I'm talking... Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, they're going up against England, who, who uh, people stupidly think that can actually win the World Cup. Uh, they're not uh, 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 narrator. They're not going to win. Um, it's not coming. Uh, let me quote the great Casper Schmeichel. Has it ever been home? Have you ever won it? That was in reference to the Euro, which they yeah. have actually never won. Yep, and they've only won one World Cup. So yeah. they're the biggest fraud, uh, big time. They've uh, gone as long. Nation. They've gone as long without a World Cup as the Browns have gone without an NFL championship. Checkmate. Yeah. So. So go go USA, and uh, the last word on that really is you talk. You made mention about like the tournament, you know, the Cinderella teams. There have been how there's been crazy results like Saudi Arabia and Japan. There have been some results that have been just wild, where the the favorites have gotten knocked out. And on the flip side, there have been some results where the favorites have absolutely lowered the boom as well. Yeah, Spain. Like, 
France just pounding Australia. Spain, 7-0 over Costa Rica. France, the new co-leader all-time, Olivier Giroud of AC Milan, scored a brace, and he is now tied with Thierry Henry for the the king of goals in the French French, uh, international team. team, yeah. That is interesting. Now, now, obviously, in probably about five or six years, Kylian Mbappe is probably going to obliterate that record. But for now, King Ali's uh, tied atop with uh, Henri. Yeah, it seems like I've made some good calls so far, except in Group D. That was one that did not pan out. I actually had Australia pulling the upset in that game, and that was not even remotely <laughs> close to Well, happening. they did score the opener. I, I was excited after the first ten minutes because Australia was leading. And then – uh, like, in the in the then gracious the the in the gracious happened. words of uh, Jack Stoll, the France, <laughs> the France, yes, yeah, the France came alive. <laughs> so. so, but anyway, yeah, like I said, go go USA beat those uh, those. Uh, I don't even know what to call them. What do you call English? The English people who drink tea and are just in general just the Brits stuck beat up the Brits jerks. Yeah, especially <laughs> when it comes to soccer, just they. They don't win anything. So the fact that they always think that they're going to win something, they never win they're like anything. The, they, England fans on the international soccer me, and stage. Don't, and listen, don't tell me about the – Oh, we were in the semis of the World Cup in 18, and we were in the finals of the Euros. You didn't win. You know who England is? Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> that is who they are. Yeah. And their fan base acts just like Houday Nation. They think that they're great, and they haven't won shit. Yeah. Seriously. And with that, that's going to do it for us on this episode of LOTL, I think. Is there anything yes. else we need to No. No, okay. I mean, just in general. Um, go, go, USA. Just everybody have a very happy and safe and uh, blessed yes. Thanksgiving. Happy uh, Thanksgiving. You're this... probably listening to this on Thanksgiving. Uh, if you're driving to wherever you're going, drive safe. Um, it's going to be a beautiful sunny day. It's if you're be listening to this tonight. degrees. Tonight is the biggest bar night of the year. Do not, do not, do not drink and drive. Call Steve, and he'll pick you up. On I'm going lift. to be out there tonight. There so, you go. So, yes. Yeah. Lift, call Steve. He'll come pick you up. Do not, do not, do not drink and drive. So with that being said, like Steve said, I hope everybody has a blessed uh, Thanksgiving, uh, family, friends, all that. Eat all the turkey you want. Don't feel guilty about it. Please. Screw the turkey. I'm talking about the sides, man. Mac and cheese, mashed potatoes, buttered corn, corn, uh, cornbread. Oh, yeah. Getting hungry already. Turkey's good, but give me the sides all day. So, anyway, um, that's going to do it for us. Uh, You can follow us on social media. At Stiffs McGee. And at Daniel J. Ford. And you can follow the show at the LOTL podcast. And, uh, yeah, we're going to enjoy some turkey tomorrow. But uh, until next week. Actually, next by next week's episode, we should know if the U.S. is is in. Or yes, not. because they will play Iran on Tuesday. Tuesday. So, so we yes, the result in Group E will be known at yeah. that point. So we will do some more uh, USMNT talk at that point. We'll recap the the rest of the group stage uh, in the World Cup, and uh, I'm sure we'll we will uh, we'll be getting ready for Deshaun Watson's return because we got one more game left until that happens. So, but yeah, this has been episode 237 of Living Off the Land. Appreciate you guys listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. We're out. Bye.